to Oaks Park High School. Um, this is our first episode on metacognition today and with that in mind I've invited the lovely Liam McDonald to speak to us today a little bit about what he's been doing with metacognition at Oaks Park. So I think I'll hand over to Liam just to introduce himself. So Liam. Hi I'm Liam, I'm the head of year 13 at Oaks Park High School and I'm also on the school's careers team and part of my role is looking at learning skills obviously with the sixth form. Brilliant, thank you Liam. Now as I mentioned before I've invited Liam on today because he's been doing some really interesting work with metacognition and with that in mind I thought I'd start off with maybe just introducing the concept and then asking Liam what he thinks of it. So we recently had actually in school a session on metacognition and there were a couple of things that were introduced. Um, one was what metacognition was, and this was one of the definitions that we had, which was being explicitly aware of how you learn and actively monitoring your own learning and self-regulation, which is about what you essentially do about that. But that's a very technical definition. So perhaps I might just ask Liam, what, what do you kind of think when you think of metacognition? So I think metacognition boils down to essentially hard thinking for students. So it's about them really going to the core of learning and trying to bring everything down to a smaller whole, I guess. So mm -hmm. rather than the more traditional version of revision, which was based on doing more would equal better grades. It's about being, I guess, smarter with how students are revising. So mm -hmm. using those methods that get them to bring the information down. So using things like flashcards where they have a small space to be able to write the information. Using things like chunking where they have to really categorise thought processes. But metacognition is also about the way we teach and the way we provide feedback. So mm -hmm. rather than just giving students the answer, it's about asking them the questions to make them reflect on their own learning. So things like, well, why have you said that? What do you mean by that? Really getting them to think about, well, why have I done that? And within that, it's getting students to reflect on their own learning as well. Mm, thank you, Liam. So with that in mind, um, obviously it's become quite a hot topic in recent years or recent months even. And I think sometimes people are wondering, how is this a change or an advancement or an improvement? And is there anything that kind of before learning at metacognition, perhaps when you were a student, let's say, or maybe even referring back to when you were a student, and to what you're doing today that's kind of signifies the difference if that makes sense so yeah does that make sense yeah it does yeah i think that traditionally we thought that we could take in loads of information at one point so mm. i remember when i was revising i thought it would be better to be sitting there for four hours at a time <laughs> reading through a book rather than actually thinking my mind can't take this and i think yeah. greater emphasis on things like cognitive load theory mm. particularly in things like teacher training now as well which mm. has meant that people are thinking more about how much information the brain can process at one point. But also, mm. I guess, the move towards a more knowledge-rich curriculum has mm. put more focus on the amount of content that people can have. So things like E.D. Hirsch and stuff coming out has made mm. people reflect more on the amount of knowledge that people need and what knowledge people need. And I guess mm. that's really made practitioners think slightly more about how far the memory can work and mm -hmm. I know that, for example, in teacher training now, they're doing a lot of work on memory and how that can be impactful on learning and teaching within schools. So I guess that may have been a shift, which has meant that something like metacognition has become more prominent. Now, there obviously mm -hmm. are still problems with what metacognition is. And I think some people may read the term wrong. But I think on the whole, that's probably why it's become more prominent. That's really interesting. So I'll come back to that question about read the term wrong. But yeah. On that point that you've just mentioned there, I think just to make it in a slightly layperson's view in my mind, because I often struggle with that analogy in my mind, 
it, it kind of makes sense that people would struggle with learning essentially too much and carrying it. And I think I think you mentioned in a in staff briefing a little while ago, and I think I mentioned in newsletter about Daniel Willingham's point about, you know, memory is a residue of thought and how effort and processing and all these kinds of factors play together. So the idea of memory having different components and it working in different ways is is really interesting. Um in that on that point you mentioned about um people misreading it, did, was there anything you had as an example or thought about that? Was there anything specific you meant? Well I think what I've seen online is a lot of people now turning this into basically an old style exit ticket. Like what mm. have you learned today? And people being like, Oh yeah, that is metacognition done because the student has reflected on what they've learned as opposed to boiling it down to what it should be about, which is getting students to think hard. And I do worry that potentially we could be in the same situation that we were say five or six years ago where, where there was this move to just thinking about oh yeah well we're just tick a box mm -hmm. and it shouldn't become like that which is oh I've done metacognition in my lesson tick yeah. because I've given them something at the end and I worry that that could be something that could be happening because of that definition about it being about students reflecting on their own learning mm -hmm. I do it's worry that people might turn it into something that it's not yeah, interesting. So on that point, I've often struggled with that kind of language as well. And you're right that I think the, the language is almost a bit confusing because reflecting almost just it can be uh, how do I phrase this? It can be a very token thing to do, as you say. You just, you know, I've reflected, I've ticked a box, et cetera, and so forth. And yet if we look at oftentimes these kind of theories come up and they often explain when you kind of port them back into a student that you've looked at who's good. When you take this theory and apply it to a kid who's really good, they're often doing these things but we haven't had a label for it. And so, for example, if you've got your most able kid in your class, quite often what they are doing when they go home is they're practicing, let's say, exam question. They're realizing that something's not quite right. They're assessing what they're struggling with and what they're doing well at. And all that process of, you know, being aware of their strengths and, you know, reinforcing those and being aware of their weaknesses and constantly coming to you as a teacher to ask for help. That's all part of metacognition, I, I kind of guess, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, so, yeah, you can see it in your students, I think. So if anyone kind of struggles to see it, I think often look at your best kids and you'll often see them doing these things. And now you've got a label to essentially identify it. They're going yeah. away, looking at their work. And, yeah. All right. So let's jump into perhaps what you've been doing um, and this sixth form team. So, yeah. Um, where did you actually first hear about it? That's actually a question I asked you. Where did you kind of come across it? So it was something that I came across not calling it metacognition when I was training to be a teacher, like I said, because there was a lot of focus on the course that I did on memory and how mm. much information students could take in at any one point. Mm. Um, and that's where I was introduced to things like cognitive load theory, etc. Mm. I guess metacognition for me as the term and using it within school really grew out of some of the movements from Pixel mm. and Pixel looking far more at this concept of hard thinking and mm -hmm. how students are actually transferring knowledge as opposed to just regurgitating and learning mm -hmm. knowledge. And I think we would say, I guess, them undermining potentially some of the more traditional taxonomies within education like Bloom's and mm -hmm. saying that knowledge isn't this thing that should be pushed to at the bottom and it mm -hmm. should be what we're doing with knowledge later on, which is more important. Interesting. Okay. Um, and so... How have you been using it as six form teams? So that's one of the things that obviously you've been doing. So I think um, one of the how we started out with this was looking at our year 13 cohort 
and using student voice to think about what were they struggling with. And one of the key things was, as I mentioned earlier, this whole idea that for them, revision meant doing lots of work. Mm -hmm. And it was thinking more about the end outcome rather than the process of revision and what they actually need to do. So the first point that we did was last year, we began with year 13 um, in their weekly PSHE lesson teaching them a range of different metacognitive activities. So mm -hmm. for example, one lesson would be based on how do we actually use flashcards effectively? So not just mm -hmm. saying you need to use flashcards, but how are you using them? Are you using things uh, that actually enable you to check your understanding as you're going on? How are you testing yourself with these? Uh, looking at things like chunking, spacing, interleaving. And that was really the surface level that we began with last year. <laughs> and we saw that it probably did have some kind of impact on the students with the results they came out with, which were better than we were expecting. Mm -hmm. So then this year, what we've done is we've really tried to integrate it far more within lessons because what we didn't want it to become was what it could easily become, I guess, is this tag along thing that they do once a week. Mm -hmm. So it was thinking about how can we actually make this a core part of the Key Stage 5 curriculum. So uh, at Oaks Park, we have a monthly Key Stage 5 sharing good practice uh, session whereby what we do is we send out information to teachers and metacognitions become at the heart of that. And we sent out um, reports from places like the Education Endowment Fund and stuff like that to ensure that teachers are aware of the best practice. We've also had sharing good practice meetings where we've really tried to push on to teachers that this should be what they're doing within the lesson and not making it something that they're just doing when they're revising as well, but thinking how can these activities be embedded within the actual learning that students are doing? Because... Mm -hmm. The thought process should be that by the time students are revising, they should have already made all their notes, etc. The revision yeah. process should be them going through things like spacing, interleaving, the testing. Um, mm -hmm. There's obviously more to be done with how we're embedding it. And I think we've got to look at how we're pushing it further down the school. And I think that did begin, like you said, with the Key Stage 3 Sharing Good Practice meeting. Mm -hmm. But that's where we are at the moment. And we're hoping to look at going further with it later on. Very interesting. Um just to jump back a second, you mentioned a couple of things, and I forgot to just chip, chip in a few things. You mentioned um, a couple of things, well, a lot of things. Um, you mentioned the cognitive load theory. So if anyone's interested in that, there's a, a, news, uh, a newsletter that was written, and I can share it with you all again by um, myself a few months back. And the theorists or primary theorists were Sweller, and you may remember the other person's name, I forget her from memory, but Sweller was the main guy. Um, and we mentioned, I think, memory and how... Um, repeating and testing was a key thing. So I'm sure you're familiar with this, um, you know, memory kind of erosion curve and how over time memory very, very quickly fades unless, as you've mentioned before, you come back and test yourself. So has this part played any kind of, have you um, spoken to students about this kind of concept of memory erosion at all? Yeah, so um, in my own subject of politics, we've changed the way we test a bit to mm. think about how we're testing cumulatively. So, for example, rather than just doing topic one as the test, we take elements of topic one and topic two, then ah. topic one, topic two and topic three. And if we've explained to the students our rationale behind that. And I guess that is a bit of what metacognition is as well, explaining to the students why we're doing things in our teaching. Because mm -hmm. I think there's sometimes a habit for me included to just say, well, we're doing this activity, this lesson, but they're not going to the science behind while we're doing it. And therefore, helping students to be able to revise later on. And for example, with year 13, I go to this kind of graph in a lot of my assemblies, the forgetting curve, because I'm mm -hmm. trying to explain to them, look, if you don't do anything and it's not consistent, then mm -hmm. this is what will happen. And I think with the way some students think, particularly 
and I can only talk about sixth form here, in that 18-month course that they've got, is that they have to do, they have to learn everything, then do it all at the end. And mm-hmm. it is about keeping that consistency going and obviously ensuring that they're going back to things over time. And we've recently uh, signed up as a school to the Adapt app, which is something that's been uh, utilised. And that builds up a revision timetable uh, for students based on their specifications with spaced retrieval at the heart of it. So it's going mm-hmm. back to concepts. And I think that will be quite revolutionary in how we do things at Oaks Park. Interesting. Um, on that point about the forgetting curve, I was, I was actually speaking to a student yesterday when I was teaching one of my lessons. We were talking about how, how, as you mentioned, if you don't do something with your memory or what you've learned, you'll forget it very quickly. And tell me what you think of this analogy, but I was likening it a bit like, um, I, was, I was likening the brain to a bit like a room that you have no control over in the sense that you put items into your brain, just like you put items into your into your room. But unfortunately, your brain, you aren't actually able to organize where the items go. So you have to remember through strengthening the memory where those items are. So for instance, if you think about, let's say something you learned a few weeks ago, it goes into your brain and it's there somewhere in there, but if you don't go back to it, you'll forget where it was in your brain, a bit like in your room. Um, and I mentioned as well to the students that your brain, sadly, is a bit like a, it's unfortunately the case, sorry, that your brain doesn't often forget things. You just forget where they're located in your brain. Yeah. So going back again and again and reinforcing the memory of where is that item in my brain is what you're doing, um, as opposed to necessarily having just forgotten it. It's not eroded. It's it's there somewhere, but it's just, you've lost the connection to finding it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, interesting. Thank you for that, Liam. Um, so you mentioned quite a lot of things there. I was going to ask you a few more, but I think you've jumped ahead, which is brilliant. Um, so in terms of challenges, perhaps, so maybe for, for a classroom teacher who's thinking of developing some sort of metacognition approach, are there any kind of top tips you might suggest for just getting started in a manageable way? I think, first of all, it's about trialing a range of different methods and mm-hmm sharing them with students because I think that although we talk about this idea of metacognition there's lots of different methods within it that you could Mm. utilize so it is about thinking um, okay what is the best activity to use to ensure that the curriculum aims are being met so for example some subjects like maths for example they're not going to be able to use the same methods as I'm going to be able to use in history so it's about really applying your subject specialism to this too and ensuring you're getting the right methods for that and experimenting Mm -hmm. And I think that can be the struggle when you're doing something um, as a generic thing like we have with Key Stage 5, which is we don't always put it into a subject-specific context. While we might be able to give examples, it's about subjects sitting down and having that discussion within themselves, like how are we actually going to apply this to the context of our subject? And that will be different for every subject. So I think that's a challenge, is ensuring that it doesn't fall into the trap of becoming uh, generic again. Mm -hmm. Um, I think another challenge is also getting student buy-in and breaking down some of the barriers that they've had. So, for example, if you're introducing this at GCSE, there will still definitely be a mentality amongst students that they're going to fall back on their um, old revision method. And this needs to be built up over time, I would say. This isn't going to be a quick fix that's going to happen overnight. Mm -hmm. It might offer some ideas to students, but it's about keeping that consistency going and really building it in across what you're doing. So rather than just thinking, oh, revision methods are for sixth form or revision methods are for when they get to year 11, is Mm -hmm. are you building in lessons throughout your schemes of work that are enabling this to happen so that by the time our students do get to year 11 and year 13, they're already adept at these I guess the other key thing about this as well and it's a challenge is that sometimes you do have to do lots of reading around the thought processes and the thinking Mm -hmm. of why you're doing this 
And obviously for teachers, there's not always the time to do that. Yeah, so it is about going to, you know, things like the research newsletter, I thought I'd give a plug here for that, um, <laughs> and things like that to give the most up-to-date research go uh, there because that can be a challenge because you don't want it to fall on the thing of, oh, I read this nice article about something, but not actually understand mm -hmm. why you're teaching it. Mm -hmm. It's funny. I, I, was, I was thinking about um, a phrase that came to mind as you were speaking there, which was um, two things, actually. One was the illusion of action. Often I think students, as you mentioned, get so used to a pattern of working which they have no understanding of whether it's actually yielding a result but it feels like it does because it's the illusion of action you're doing something but it doesn't actually result in something and we as teachers are guilty of that the Pareto principle the idea that you know 20 percent of your outcomes come from 80 percent of your sorry 80 percent of your outcomes come from 20 percent of your efforts the other 80 percent that we do it, it's not meaningless but it's certainly not having the outcome that we often think it is and students i think fall into the same category so before we can start, as you mentioned before, to start to get to kids to even buy in, perhaps we need to develop our own knowledge, exactly as you say, and actually buy into that concept. Um, yeah. And and that's a hard thing because we're, we're used to it too. We're all used to it. I think let's take, for example, working out. People will often go to the gym and work out really hard, neglecting the fact that their diet is probably the most important thing that's going to help their health probably, or at least wherever it is they're working towards. So, yeah, the illusion of action was the first thing. The second thing came to mind, but I seem to have slipped from it. So I'll I'll get all that. <laughs> but there we go. Um, okay. Um, in terms of next steps, you've mentioned this a little bit. It's just kind of perhaps finally, what are your kind of next steps? You're mentioning taking it forward. Is there kind of time plan that you have in mind? Or if not, just any kind of one or two key things you're looking forward to trying? I think it's first of all about reviewing and seeing how it's gone this year with our new way of working. So has it actually had an impact? So that's the main thing that we'll be looking at as we move towards this year. Obviously, we're in an interesting situation at the moment in the sense that we don't have exams coming up. So mm -hmm. the impact will be looking at what students have thought of it and then also looking at, you know, I guess, the predicted grades that come out from what we're doing at the moment. And then moving forward, what we'd like to see happening is this becoming a central component of everyone's lesson planning and potentially looking at how departments can be within their learning teams, having a time set aside to actually think about how this can be embedded within their schemes of work. Because I think at the moment, potentially, it has become a slight thing that you mentioned, like you said, in staff briefing, you mentioned at a CPL, but it's mm -hmm. then about getting that consistency going and people actually reflecting on what they're doing with it. Mm -hmm. um, and that's going to come from, that's not going to be an overnight fix. That's going to be something that's going to come over time as people become more confident with the material they're reading, as the theories themselves become more well-known. So for example, things like dual coding, how mm -hmm. effectively is that being used? And it's all about evaluation moving forward, I think, to ensure that we get this right for our students. I think it's a really good point. I'll just finish off. I think one thing that you mentioned there about you've got the theory and yet bringing theory into practice is the hardest thing in education because it's such a social subject. You've got each child's very different. Each classroom's very different. Each subject's very different. And yet we've got these theories that we know, broadly speaking, when taken in aggregate work, we know that, you know, the memory can only hold so much information at any given time and therefore chunking and space repetition work. And yet different subjects have different challenges to achieve that so i think that's a really key point there i think definitely i want to repeat that each subject will have their own challenges but there is definitely value to this and i think taking some time to evaluate and consider what's best for your department um is something that i think will really benefit all departments and and lastly um you know give it time you know not everything will work straight away sometimes things will take a few weeks maybe even months maybe even a year and if you pick maybe one or two things just for the year and say right that's what i'm going to focus on here are two techniques for a, for a whole term or for a whole year and give it some time 
you might find yourself less, you know, feeling that you're pressurized to get lots of things done and less disengaged if it doesn't work because you've you've tried one thing and you've given it its full attention. Yeah, Brilliant. Um, Liam, anything else you want to add? Um, just that it's, a, as you said, a moving process and it will take time to embed properly because within the educational sphere, there are still people debating the merits of different mm-hmm. elements. So you shouldn't feel down if things aren't working straight away would be my advice. It's going to take time and it's also going to take student buy-in as well. And that may mm-hmm. not come automatically. And it's about us working about this over a long period of time. Very good point. Thank you, Liam. Excellent. All right. Well, if you want to find Liam, he's in the Craig Foster building, I believe, and he's in yeah. the downstairs office. Is that right? Uh, upstairs, uh, middle, middle floor. Middle floor. Sorry. My apologies. And um, yes, thank you very much, Liam. And um, have a good afternoon. And until the next episode, thank you very much. Thank you.